Hi, welcome. This is Dr. John Martini. This is one of the most amazing and inspiring shows that you can listen into. If you want to be on the edge of your seats, if you want to open up your heart, if you want to expand your mind, and you want to meet incredible people, stay tuned because you're just about to experience a transformative radio show that will change your life. And you're listening to the Dr. Pat Show that's coming up right next. Welcome to the Dr. Pat Show. Talk radio to thrive by. Powerful, inspiring, and coming to you live, bringing you stories of people like you and me, busting through and living life full out. Get ready to dare to wonder what your life would be like if you knew you could not fail. Hey, everybody. Super, super welcome. It's so great to have all of you tune us in and turn us on. I got to adjust my microphone right there for a second. Uh, You know, I'm really excited about today's show and about uh, both guests that we have today. One of the things that I've pondered with for most of my life is a couple of things. And today you're going to hear from the author of Ways to Go Beyond, and why they work, Rupert Sheldrake, Dr. Rupert Sheldrake. Um, and, and let me tell you about this. I, when I think about the work that Dr. Sheldrake has done, and I think about beyond his biography, because many of us seem to think we are our, our we, we actually are our, our biographies. But when we take a look at how we show up in the world, and those things that we associate with either our resumes, our curriculum vitae, vita, it says it depends on who your uh, 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 thesis chair is, how you say that. When we take a look about scientific and technical publications, but more importantly, when we look at what our voice is about and how we show up in the world, It talks to a bigger issue. It talks to a bigger calling. It actually talks to what we like to call purpose. But what is it about that that seems to build momentum? And this is the thing I've been fascinated with and and part of why I'm so thrilled to talk with Dr. Sheldrake today is I've thought about the things I've done in my life. And there are things I've done in my life that have built momentum. And what I mean by that is they got easier and easier to do as I did them. Um, I got more and more excited and committed to them. And the idea that I didn't know, quote, how to do them, let's just say that for a minute, or that there was a how to doing them, didn't matter. Today, the book that I picked up and read to prepare for today's show with Dr. Sheldrake, that book, that the idea that we could literally get a sense of and understand in real time, right, real time, this idea of ways to go beyond and why. Not only is this important because of the way that Dr. Sheldrake breaks it down, it takes these, you know, seven spiritual practices in a scientific age, but breaks it down into everyday things. This is something that I think is so pivotal and important, not that his other books aren't, but why are they important? Well, they're important because they take, in my opinion, what we have known in the past as very complex spiritual practices that we have referred to people that either live clear across the earth and another part of the world to be able to do, or that we have taken basically aspects of certain thousands and groups of years of people, and we have said they are very, very special and how they understand ways to go beyond. But here, here's what I love when I went through this book. I, I'm actually reading the book by Dr. Sheldrick, and I go through the book and I say, yeah, I've done that. Yeah, that's absolutely true. Well, wait a minute. I remember the guy that actually started the 12-step programs. What? His spiritual awakening was with what? Belladonna. So I'm reading the book and I'm thinking to myself, 
wow, hallelujah, we have finally taken a look at what has been taught to us many, many decades, 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 centuries, that are about very difficult, complex spiritual practices. And we now have a book that takes these spiritual practices and brings it into contemporary times to say, hey, everyone, this could be you. That's why I'm excited about, excited about today's show and especially about having Dr. Sheldrake joining me here. Dr. Sheldrake, great to have you on the show. Good to be with you. Um, one of the things I loved about this, and, and thank you for joining us here today, is most difficult thing I ever did in my life, and I, I say this because you seem to do it so easily, is to take a body of research, 10 years of research, and somehow be able to communicate it to the public, to the world, to the committees that evaluate it, that look at the research, that look at empirical data, and to be able to say, hello, folks, I want to talk to you about the impact of breaking your promises. Now I think about that, and I look at the body of work that you've done, especially in this book, and I say to myself, wow, this is the book we need for our time to understand that it's not impossible for us to connect. So I want to ask you, what is it about this particular book out of the many, many that you've written that really talks to the day and age we live in? I think there are many people in, at the present time who are on spiritual journeys, but not necessarily doing it within the framework of a, a traditional religion. And we also have access to spiritual practices from all the world's traditions. You know, in a modern American or British city, you can, you know, find people who will instruct you in Hindu meditation, Buddhist meditation, Tai Chi, martial arts, um, you know, uh, all sorts of drumming practices, singing and chanting from all traditions. Um, so many different practices are available, uh, rituals of every kind. Um, that um, And uh, that's one thing. We're, we're open to so many possibilities at the moment people have never had before. And secondly, these practices are being investigated scientifically as never before. And the scientific studies on the effects on brains, bodies, physiology, well-being, and so on, um, actually illuminate these practices. And it's one of the ways in which science and spirituality are coming together at present. You know, we're used to the idea that they're in somehow in conflict. But when uh, um, scientists are studying a spiritual practice like meditation or singing or chanting or prayer, um, then um, they're not trying to debunk it. They're trying to find out what's going on. And all these practices have measurable effects. Do you, what do you think about the technology of the world we live in today? And clearly it's the future, right? I mean, somebody asked me in an interview what I thought 10 years from now would look like. And I, my answer was, I'm not sure what 10 minutes is going to look like in the world of technology. Um, but what do you think about the fact that technology is bringing some of the civilizations that had access to these spiritual practices bringing it so close to people, making it more accessible to people. What do you think the influence of that is on, on understanding and embracing spiritual practices today? Well, I think for most people, it's not any longer the problem of finding out how to do it. It's the problem mm -hmm. is finding time to do it in. <laughs> and, um, you know, we the, you go into any sort of... Um, mind, body, spirit section of a bookshop, and there's endless books on, you know, things you can do and how to do this and how to do that. Um, and uh, the, the real challenge for most modern people is to find time to do anything, um, you know, because the whole of the modern technological world is set up to distract people. There's endless sort of multiple channels of distraction on TV, I mean, hundreds of channels, of distraction. And then there's the internet with millions of YouTubes and websites and things that are distracting. And then the social media, uh, which are constantly distracting. 
famous video game. Um, so there's, there's the endless distraction, and all of these spiritual practices involve taking time to do them in. So I think that's the biggest challenge for most people. It's one reason why, in my book, uh, Ways to Go Beyond and Why They mm-hmm. Work, I I'd, I'd, um, have a chapter on holy days and festivals, mm. because it's part of all our tradition and of most traditions to have days which are days off, holidays. Holidays are holy days, it's the same word. And, you know, the traditional one in the Judeo-Christian tradition is Saturday for Jews, Christian is, uh, Sunday for Christians, that you have a day which is traditionally protected by one of the Ten Commandments for the, for the Jewish Sabbath, um, a day when you don't work, uh, which means that everyone, and, and since nobody's working on that day, or at least as few people as possible traditionally, then um, there's a chance for communities to come together, families to come together, for people to celebrate um, and, you know, to do things together. Uh, whereas we're in the grip of a 24-7 culture that's trying to erode every bit of special time um, from our lives. So there's ceaseless you know, social media, ceaseless commercial activity on the Internet, you know, Sunday deliveries of Amazon parcels and that kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think that the part of, part of one of these practices of you know, observing one day a week, you know, for those of us who come from Christian backgrounds, Sunday's the obvious day. For Jewish people, Saturday's the obvious day, and many Jews do, in fact, observe the Sabbath, I think, more so than Christians. Um, that the, um, this is a time that, even if for, for people who are secular and who've given up traditional religious pursuits, it's still worth keeping one day, at least one day in the week, free from work from other activities, and ideally have a kind of electronic Sabbath, you know, don't do emails, social media, etc. I try to do that myself. I try to keep Sundays mm-hmm. um, free from all these things. And then uh, you have at least one day in the week where the space opens up, when you can actually read and enjoy and hang out with people and celebrate and have fun and do these spiritual practices. Of course, some can be done every day, but Sunday does provide us with that traditional opportunity to push aside the normal concerns of our lives and uh, explore other things. You know, one of the things that I was struck by in reading Science and Spiritual Practices, you know, the book, I guess the book that came before this is, I I, I was really drawn in um, on the conversation around the flow of gratitude because I, I have found that for myself to be my go-to place, uh, and very innocently, uh, you know, coming up with the mantra, no matter what I'm repeating hundreds of times of, in the day, uh, thank you, God, thank you, spirit, almost like a mantra that happens unconsciously. And I noticed in my, my own practice how that changed me. In this book, as I, as I, as I looked at this book, I related to what you're sharing with us and the science of this into more of everyday practical terms, especially coming out and talking and learning from animals. I I was fascinated by it, but also the power of using the spiritual side of sports as an example. Uh, Hey, Pat, I'm going to jump in here if you don't mind, Pat. Hey, Pat. All right, we're going to do this. Uh, She unfortunately cannot hear me right now. We're going to take a small little break. We'll be right back with more from the Dr. Pat Show. Join the new earth on the Cornelia Stephanie show. Tune in each month as Cornelia takes listeners on an odyssey of higher consciousness to inspire, educate, and empower. Cornelia Stephanie is a spiritual teacher, passionate speaker, published author, and founder of the Empower Network. Cornelia guides people on the path of self-healing, peace, and liberation. For more information, go to CorneliaStephanie.com. Hi, I'm Laura Meeks, and the most common problem that my clients face is all work and no play. This is why I created Fly High Living. I help you develop a balanced life plan and guide you to a place where you love to wake up in the morning. 
Call 888-666-1570 or go to flyhighliving.com to sign up for the four-week Flight Plan for Life course. Sanskrit is not just a language to be written and spoken, but it is a doorway to gaining understanding of how we experience life and truth. Conscious Confidence is a book written by Sanskrit scholar Sarah Main. The stories Sarah shares will take you on a journey of understanding how the power of this ancient language is not only still relevant, but can truly transform your everyday life. Drawing upon the deeper meanings behind the Sanskrit words for confidence, Sarah Main outlines principles for harnessing the fourfold energy of conscious confidence. Focusing, uniting, simplifying, and energizing. Not just a book, a life guide. Available now on Amazon, Barnes & Noble, Inner Traditions. You can find all of those links on ConsciousConfidence.com. The Truth is Funny, Shift Happens with Colette Marie Steffen is excited to welcome Karen Benton as a monthly guest host. Tune in on the third Wednesday of each month at 8 a.m. Pacific time to regain confidence and trust in your capacity to create change in your life, your health, your family, and your well-being. Karen Benton is a mother, nurse practitioner, certified body talk practitioner, Franklin Method instructor, and owner of Limitless Living, LLC. For more information about Karen, visit KarenBenton.com. Tune in to The Jen Royster Show, intuitive guidance to inspire your life, each Thursday at 8 a.m. Pacific and 11 a.m. Eastern on TransformationTalkRadio.com. This amazing show is an inspirational hour that will take you on an epic metaphysical journey to discover the spiritual approach to life's greatest challenges. Dr. Jen is an internationally known intuitive counselor, spiritual teacher, and energy healer. Call in for intuitive readings and visit jenroyster.com for more information. Are you meeting your sales goals? Or maybe your business plan could use a dose of the divine. Tune in to Divinely Driven Results with faith-based business coach Elise Smith on TransformationTalkRadio.com. Coach Elise Smith helps listeners get unstuck from their business plateau and become empowered through divine guidance. Build up belief in yourself and your dreams and learn business strategies that work for you for real lasting results. Learn more by visiting www.divinelydrivenresults.com. It's time to shake out your money-making truth on Soul Wisdom Abundance with Jennifer Bloom, creating wealth from spiritual health on TransformationTalkRadio.com. This hit show is more than your roadmap to success. It's your compass to abundance through joy and ease. Jennifer Bloom teaches you about the soul's relationship to money and wealth and how improving that relationship serves both you and the world. Learn more at JenniferBloom.com. A word of caution, if you prefer the status quo and you are not interested in improving every aspect of your life, this book will trigger the shift out of you. The Truth is Funny, Shift Happens is available now. Author Colette Steffen brings the powerful knowledge and life-changing energy and empowerment from the radio airwaves to the pages of her new book. To get your copy in paperback or ebook, visit thetruthisfunny.com today. Hey, everybody, welcome back. Wow, that was totally like the weirdest thing that I've ever experienced. I, I literally went to a page on Dr. Sheldrake's website, and it must have had so much energy in it that it blew out Skype. Well, we're going to pick up where we left off. Dr. Sheldrake, great to have you here. Thank you for joining me today. Good. Good to be with you. Um, I wanted to talk about, you know, the difference in the book that I referenced before the Rick Science and Spiritual Practices and this book, Ways to Go Beyond and Why They Work. I, I know from my perspective in reading both of them, um, I found myself reading this book a little bit differently in the way I was relating to each chapter. But can you share a little bit about the connection between the two books and what you know, what ways to go beyond and why they work, take us to the next level of spiritual practice. Yes, well, <clears throat> the first book, Science and Spiritual Practices, I deal with seven different spiritual practices, with meditation, gratitude, connecting with nature, relating to plants, singing and chanting, uh, rituals, 
um, and pilgrimage. Um, <clears throat> and these are all practices I do myself, and they're all ones that have had some scientific studies, especially meditation. Um, this uh, second book, Ways to Go Beyond and Why They Work, is like a culmination of this journey. It's, uh, I deal with seven more spiritual practices, and then try and bring together um, what it is that these very different spiritual practices have in common. And in this new book, Ways to Go Beyond and Why They Work, um, where I deal with sports, as you mentioned, the spiritual side of sports, learning from animals, uh, fasting, uh, spiritual openings through psychedelics, um, the prayer, uh, holy days and festivals, which we've just been talking about, and um, being kind. Um, uh, then I try and see how these very different practices can be related to each other. In the second book, Ways to Go Beyond, um, as in the first book, indeed, I'm trying to uh, discuss practices that anyone can incorporate into their life if they feel uh, drawn to do that. Um, almost all of them are free, um, and almost all of them have um, you know, things that people can implement easily. Um, and some of them are surprising. I mean, sports, as you mentioned, is, is something most people don't think of as a spiritual practice. It seems supremely secular. But in the modern world, large numbers of people enter into altered states of consciousness through sports, partly because um, sports very quickly shut down the default mode network, that series of brain regions that become active when we're ruminating or worrying or uh, anxious. Um, and meditation shuts them down too, these, these default brain network regions, um, but often more slowly than uh, sports. Uh, a friend of mine who was a, a very busy business person and also a mountain climber told me that when he was at his busiest, he just couldn't stop thinking, couldn't sleep at night. He, it was, his mind was racing all the time, tried meditating, it didn't work. But by the time he was 50 feet up a rock face, he was completely in the present, um, you know, just looking for the next finger holes and toe holes. Um, it, it, his default mode network was completely shut down. He was utterly in the present. And the same is true of someone skiing downhill at 60 miles an hour or in the middle of a football game. You have to be completely present uh, within these sporting activities or else you're out of the game. Or in the case of skiing, you might go over a cliff and you'd be dead. So um, I think that's another reason why so many people enjoy the thrill of speed um, because if you're driving a car very fast or a motorbike or skydiving or um, skiing downhill, um, then the, you've got to be present um, because you're on the edge of almost certain death if you get it wrong. And that forces people into an extreme concentration in the present. And being present is one of the first prerequisites for spiritual experiences. A lot of people do actually have profound spiritual experiences through sports. In fact, it's one reason why so many people do sports or take part in them. You know, one of the things that I talk about on the show is that, and this is so fascinating that we're talking about this today because, you know, I went through a period in my life where I came down with what they call a mystery disease. And there were two things that I attribute my current day wellness to, but also my peace of mind in the process and it was a long process at 10 year 10 years right one of them was stumbling upon this thing that i've now been doing for 16 years close to 10,000 interviews that when i'm speaking with you or when we are speaking and sharing you know this story with our listeners everything around me stops it's like time stops um and so I was fascinated as I was reading this book that the two things that I do, um, one of them is this, and of course it's become my life's work. The other one is is not so glamorous, but it's equally important. And I and it really opens up the door to talk more about what you've what you've created and what you've written about in this book. And I I play a sport, and I just started to play this sport again. 
three years ago. I used to play in my 20s. And when my friends hear that I play this sport, everybody laughs. And I play the sport of table tennis, better known as ping pong. And it's fascinating that you're talking about this and I'm reading about it because now the joke in the office and the studio is, wow, she needs to go out and play some table tennis and take a few hours off from work. But it really is when we're thinking about what you've written in this book, there's this sense of time standing still. And, and I don't know how else to explain it. Could you explain it perhaps better? <laughs> well, actually, table tennis or ping pong is, is a good example because, you know, I play it myself. And um, I have a son who's brilliant at this. I can't beat him anymore. I could when he was little. But um, he's uh, um, the ping pong, uh, like other sports, it's, the primary thing about sports is that they're physical. Um, there are games that aren't sports, like chess, and there are sports that aren't games, like downhill skiing or skydiving. Um, but the point about all the things that are sports is they're physical. You have, you're doing something, with you, and it requires physical skill. And to play ping pong well obviously requires tremendously quick reactions, and it also requires the skill. You, know, you can spin the ball, and you can anticipate a spin that your opponent has put on the ball, and so on. And there's so many of these skills involved, uh, including awareness and observation. And in order to be, you have to be completely absorbed in this to play yes. properly, uh, effectively. And that means the default mode network, worries, concerns, anxieties, are all shut off. And um, also, uh, you get into the flow by being part of this process. And uh, positive psychologists who studied this process of flow uh, point out that the things that make people happiest are being in the flow. And being in the flow means in being involved in some process in which you're completely absorbed, uh, which again shuts down the default mode network. One, I mean, sports are one way of being in the flow, like you're playing ping pong. Um, being absorbed in your work, in a good conversation, for example, is another way that they point out. And obviously that happens to you through your work, your, your radio work. Um, so I think this point about being in the flow is that it's uh, you're part of a process, you're present in that process, uh, you're not thinking about other things. And through being in the present, um, you come into, uh, as soon as you're in the present, then the present contains the presence of other forms of consciousness too. I mean, divine consciousness is present. It can only be experienced in the present. Um, and to go beyond ourselves, we have to be in the present. And sports can help us do that, which is why I think that um, Michael Murphy, for example, who founded the Esalen Institute in California, yeah. uh, mm -hmm. wrote a book called The, Psyche, uh, the, the um, Golf in the Kingdom about the mystical side of golf, which has sold millions of copies to golfers. I'm not a golfer myself. Um, but... <laughs> He's obviously struck a chord with golfers because many of them recognize in that book those altered states of consciousness that come to them when they're completely absorbed in the swing of their golf club and hitting the ball and their complete absorption in, in the moment through golf. Um, and Michael Murphy is one of the leaders of the human potential movement. And he sees sports as being very much part of human potential with this spiritual dimension. Um, and I think he's right. Most people haven't seen it that way, but uh, seeing it in, in, in a spiritual light is actually unusual in our culture. Uh, but in the East, you know, the martial arts, uh, the Japanese martial arts, Tai Chi, um, you know, Zen and the art of archery, all these kinds of things in the East, they've always seen that the, the flow, the skill and the flow together bring people into the present, and these sports have a spiritual dimension. Michael Murphy thinks that in the West, where we're less aware of this aspect of things, it's a kind of unconscious thing for many people, but he does think of sports, as he puts it, as the yoga of the West. Um, and I think it's a very important point. 
Yeah, I, I love that you actually mentioned ping pong in this, but there are a couple of things that I also notice, especially throughout the other chapters that I want to talk with you about is, you know, when I went read, when I read the book and I read each chapter one at a time, and then I stepped back and I looked at all of them together. I, what what I was struck by is, and I asked myself this question, you know, what is it that I can point to where there have been different experiences that we have that open up the door, that create spiritual openings? And clearly, when you were referencing sports, one of the things you talked about was honing your skills. And what I noticed is when I decided to go get lessons and literally, you know, be in the zone of training and drills in a sport that I learned how to play at a young age, spinning a ball very, very fast. Like we joke about the RPMs uh, in this little machine that they have now, <laughs> right? You know, there's, there's nothing worse than getting a bunch of ping pong people standing around trying to find out how fast they can spin the ball. But what we talked about, and, and now in some of the other chapters that I want to talk with you about is, there is this new sense of knowing that is very difficult to describe. And I studied down in Claremont with the, the gentleman that really studied flow. So I got to do some of that and understanding of it. But in your book, you're really inviting us to take concepts to the next level, to actually do something. And I find that an incredible blueprint for having this wonderful way to live life in the world of spiritual openings. And I wanted to ask you about the relationships to each of the seven things you talk about here. The relationship of what? Of of spiritual side of sports and fasting and a power of prayer. How they relate to each other. Yes. Well, the the thing is that they all seem completely different. You know, fasting, uh, spiritual mm -hmm. side of sports, um, uh, you know, prayer, petitionary prayer. Uh, they all seem very different. But uh, for me, they make sense if one looks at the nature of ultimate reality. The the all spiritual and, and religious traditions tell us that ultimate reality is conscious whether you conceive of it as God, Brahman, you know, the, the nirvana, or um, the absolute, the all. All these are words about conscious being at the ground of everything. Um, but the interesting thing is that when you come down to the details, what is this ultimate conscious being like? Different traditions have models that are strikingly similar, and they're basically threefold or trinitarian. In Hinduism, for example, ultimate reality, Brahman, uh, is conscious and has three aspects, which they call Sat, Chit, and Ananda. And Sat is the ground of being, conscious being. Chit is names and forms, the contents of consciousness, things you can know. Um, and Ananda is joy or bliss, and um, the idea is the ultimate conscious reality is inherently blissful. Now, the Christian model of the Holy Trinity is very similar. God the Father is the ground of being in the Old Testament when he announces himself to Moses. His, he says his name is I Am. I am who I am. That's conscious being in the present. Um, then the Logos, the second person of the Trinity, is about names and forms. It's about words, patterns, forms, structures, meanings, connections. And the Holy Spirit is the principle of movement or change, breath or flow or wind. Uh, it's energy, as we experience it in nature, uh, as it's described by science. It's the energetic principle, which in the Hindu tradition is called Shakti and is, is feminine in the Hindu tradition. Actually, Numa, I mean Rua, the word for spirit in the Old Testament in Hebrew, is feminine. Uh, it's a moving principle. And through moving with it, uh, people experience bliss or joy. Well, this is the model of ultimate reality that we find in these different traditions. And then when you look at these varied spiritual practices, um, it's 
they, they seem to work by relating to different aspects of this um, threefold reality. For example, meditation, which is about coming to the ground of consciousness itself, being in pure awareness, um, going beyond form, forms and patterns and names and concepts, uh, it's settling into kind of ultimate conscious being. Uh, the idea is, in all traditions, that through doing this, you're coming into contact with the ground of being itself, the ground of conscious being itself in the divine. So that's the kind of still side of spiritual practices that we get from meditation. But sports, singing and dancing, and there are in many tribal cultures, part of their spiritual practices, dancing together. Um, there are sacred dances. Um, but then they, these are about movement and flow. And I think they relate primarily to the spirit aspect of ultimate reality. And then there are some other practices. In, in my book, Science and Spiritual Practices, I talk about in the chapter on plants, uh, relating to flowers. And when you experience the beauty of a flower, when you're contemplating a flower and, or just walking in the garden and looking at different flowers and allowing yourself to be moved by these and absorbed by the contemplation of the flower, then I think we're primarily relating to the second aspect of this Trinitarian model, names and forms, or the logos, which is about structure, form, harmony, relationship. And it's, it's not so much to do with movement when you're looking at a flower. It's not visibly moving, at least unless it's a windy day. Um, but it's, it's, um, it's about this contemplation of, um, of the logos. So I think these different practices map on to ultimate conscious reality in its three aspects, and some map more strongly onto one aspect than onto others. But it's not either or. The whole point about these Trinitarian models of ultimate reality is that threefoldness is, in fact, a unity. And although these three aspects may appear separate, they can't really exist apart from each other. And they're all related to each other. But nevertheless, one can be more emphasized than another in a given spiritual practice. So that's how I think these very varied practices are related uh, to ultimate reality and ultimately through that to each other. Mm. Yeah, I want to. I'm going to take a short break here. Uh, but one of the things that I realized, and I, I've gone through the book now a couple times because I was so fascinated by what I missed the first time through, is that as I step back and I look at my life, what I realized is that I didn't learn, I didn't learn all of them at once. I learned each of them separately, and it took me a bunch of time, some of them, to learn. But when yeah. I live my life today. I'm really struck by how I integrate them without even thinking about it. Do you know what I mean? I don't know if that makes sense. It does, yes. I mean, the point is that they become part of one's life. And, um, you know, I meditate every morning, for example. And if I don't meditate, it feels a bit like not cleaning my teeth. You know, it's, it's sort of just part of my daily routine. And um, I think some of these practices can become very integrated into one's life. Some are more occasional, like the celebration of seasonal festivals. Obviously, they don't happen every day by definition. Well, one of the things I want to talk about when we come back is, first of all, for those of you out there, we have a copy of the book to give to you, which is fabulous. We would love to do that when we come back. Um, the other thing, too, we're going to be talking about is, you know, what is it that happens when we start to look at these practices and for ourselves, become more aware of what they are and how to bring them forward. And we're going to talk a little bit of what some people call uh, less controversial today than it has been in a really, really long time. And that is, do we have something to learn from the studies in the 60s with mind-altering effects? Let's take a short break. We're going to be talking about that because it has some very deep roots and much more. Before we go to break, would you tell folks how they can find out more about you and how to get a copy of your book? Yes. Well, uh, my book is called Ways to Go Beyond and Why They Work. Um, my website is sheldrake.org, S-H-E-L-D-R-A-K-E, 
charlesdrake.org. And um, the book is available in bookstores, of course, uh, through Amazon, both as a paperback printed book, also as a Kindle or e-book, and also as an audio book with me reading it. So if, if people want to hear, if, if prefer to listen to a book, then you can listen to this book um, and uh, read by me. Yeah, I, I, I am so thrilled about this book. But for those of you, when we come back, uh, what I want to talk with um, Dr. Sheldrake about is not only why it's important to literally look at, embrace, and commit to these practices, but how it does change your life and what you can decide on and choose to create that spiritual opening. And once you do that, what does that then lead to? Does it lead to the world of possibilities? Let's take a short break, everyone. We'll be right back. The Coach Peggy Show, all things wellness with me, Coach Peggy Wilms. Tune in every Tuesday, 6 p.m. Eastern, right here on TransformationTalkRadio.com, where I'm going to talk to you about all things wellness. We go way beyond nutrition and fitness, you guys. It's the Coach Peggy Show. We get bold, we get badass, and we never go half in. And for more information, you can visit me at allthingswellness.com. Break your snooze button habits for good with the Soul Stretching Sisters on the I Am Power Hour with me, Terry J. Walker. And me, Dr. Pat, on TransformationTalkRadio.com. Pump up your spiritual muscle as we share stories, aspire higher, and live a whole lot larger to help you unleash your powered-up, pumped-up, I am soul-stretching success. Anything can happen when we take to the airwaves. And all things become possible during the I Am Power Hour. Have you ever wondered what your pets think about? Do you know what your pets are saying to you? Dr. Monica will be your pet's translator to help you understand what your pets are trying to communicate to you. Enhance the bond with your furry friends on Pets Talk with Pet Communicator, Dr. Monica, each month on TransformationTalkRadio.com. For more information about Dr. Monica, visit PetCommunicator.com. We remember a time when you could simply form a thought and it would manifest. The harmony was forgotten, but it is returning now. The Power of Inspiration and Awakening Radio with Juliet Griffin on TransformationTalkRadio.com each second and fourth Wednesday at 9 a.m. Pacific will take you on adventures through the heart and spirit exploring who we once were. This intuitive healer studied under the guidance of wolves, learning from their wisdom to master a higher frequency for a new state of mind. Visit OneTrueSelf.com. Your money is your creational energy. When you feed your wealth back into what you love, it signals your choices and returns to you. Tune in to Money Momentum with host Karen Baines and learn the truth about the widely misunderstood creative energy that is the cash in your pocket. Realign the things you can't see to get the results you can see. Listen every month for a whole new hour on how to get the money already aligned to who you are. For more information on Karen and Money Momentum, visit soulwhispers.uk. Hey, how's it going? If it's stressful or just plain exhausting, New Light Living is here to ask, is this the way you want to live? Join me, your intuitive spiritual life coach and host, Orika Sullivan, every week on New Light Living. Discover the power of creative tools to start living every day as your ideal dream day. See your life in the new light. To learn more, visit newlightliving.com. Welcome back, everyone. It's great to have all of you tune us in and turn us on. I mean, it was wonderful for me when I uh, when I, when the book was presented and, and somebody said, do, do you want to do the interview? And I said, you're kidding, right? I mean, ways to go beyond and why they work. Seven Spiritual Practices in a Scientific Age. That's the book for those of you out, out there. Dr. Rupert Childrick is joining me here today. And one of the things that I love about this book is that it takes you through, and let me just give you the, I know we only have a few minutes left, but let me just tell everyone what we were talking about when we're talking about these principles, these practices is the spiritual side of sports, learning from animals, fasting. Then we were talking about psychedelics and spiritual openings, holy days and festivals, cultivating good habits, avoiding bad habits. And so, and why all these work. 
And I think that we have talked wonderfully about why they were. I want to ask you this question in the few minutes left. I think for a lot of folks, they see these practices as sort of, um, yeah, I, I, I think I'll get around it. You know, I don't see them like that anymore because I literally was brought to my knees by a disease. And let's say that my choices of not looking at these, doing the show that I did, or looking at these and incorporating them into my life, I was down to a point where this is the place I had to go because nothing else was really working. I, I kind of have a sense of this, and I want to ask you, I think we're living in a society now where we're almost at the ultimatum point that if we don't incorporate these practices, we may lose ourselves in a state of confusion. What do you think about that? Am I too over the top? <laughs> well, I think there are a lot of people who are very, very lost in our society. And in fact, I think the whole direction of our culture is lost. We don't know where we're going. And the direction we've been going in for decades, the idea of progress through science and technology and economic growth, that seemed like a, a fairly straightforward objective. But um, now we're running into the problem of pollution, climate change, um, extinction of other species, um, you know, the, the wasteful consumption patterns. It all has to change. We're sort of running heading for a sort of brick wall, really. I mean, it, it, things are going to... We're in a crisis mode. And I think individually, too, a lot of people are in a kind of crisis mode. Um, I think traditional religions, I mean, traditional Christianity, Judaism, and other religions have, through centuries, provided for many people a sense of community, a sense of meaning, purpose and, in life. And they still do for many people, including me. I'm an... Uh, as well as doing these practices, I'm a practicing Anglican or Episcopalian. Um, so, so, but there are a lot of people who've left traditional religions for one reason or another. Um, I've gone over to consumerism, a kind of materialistic culture, um, with no particular bigger purpose or meaning. And this has created a kind of spiritual void Many have also put their trust in materialistic science, and materialistic science provides a very bleak picture of reality. You know, nothing, it does nothing but matter. There's no purpose in the universe. When you die, it all goes blank. Your mind's nothing but your brain. Um, it's a very bleak picture that it gives, and it's, in fact, it's a depressing picture. And the endemic disease, mental disease of modern industrial societies is depression. Millions of people are on antidepressants as a result. So I think that the, and then there are many people who are recovering spiritual practices who would call themselves spiritual but not religious. I mean, many, many people in that category. Um, and I think that's a step back towards recovering a sort of a, a, a spiritual mooring in one's life, a spiritual purpose and, and connection. And uh, Going beyond our normal limited self, our limited lives, um, gives us that sense of greater connection, which spiritual experiences are. They're about this feeling of connection with something greater than ourselves. And I think we need that for our mental and physical health. And in fact, the overall conclusion mm -hmm. from thousands of studies on spiritual practices and religious practices is that people who have these practices are happier, healthier, and generally live longer than those that don't. They're good for you, and they have actual measurable effects on health and well-being. So I think that it's a vitally important thing in the modern world to rediscover these practices and to incorporate them into our own lives. Yeah, and I mean, this is really, for me, is when I think about, you know, what your body, what this book is about, but also before this book and looking at, you know, bringing, you know, the science and bridging the gap between science and spirituality. Some people actually think there is a gap. And I, and I think that what, what I love about what this book is about is if we literally take a step back to what this entails, we could almost pinpoint without empirical data how the practices 
and the invitation you have will actually make our lives better. And I think for so many people, it's hard to see that. It's hard to see, yeah, if I do this, my life will be better. And and I think that's a powerful message. What do you think? Oh, definitely. Yes. Um, one of the things I do in this book is, is try and make have each chapter has a, a bit at the end of, on how one can actually implement it. And I suggest simple ways of trying these practices. If one says to people, you know, you've got to sort of go far away, take weeks off work, go on some peculiar diet and stuff, they're not going to do it. If it's something you can just try, like trying, if one doesn't pray, a lot of people meditate but don't pray, and I think these practices are complementary. I think both are important. And just sitting quietly and asking a higher power, whatever one thinks of as a higher power, to bless one's own life and those, those members of one's family and friends and the places where one lives and works. Just asking for blessings takes a few minutes and is a way of tuning in to that way of being, that sense of connection and the way that uh, divine power can flow through one and into the world around one. And again, this is something that can become a daily practice, but what I do in my book at the end of each chapter is suggest how people can actually try out these practices for themselves. And I think having small steps that one can take sampling these things makes it much easier, much less daunting than the yeah. idea of some completely uh, new practice that might take a lot of time and trouble. Um, yeah. All of them are relatively easily accessible. Yeah. And that's actually what I think is so brilliant about this that you've laid this out and, you know, from somebody that has struggled a large part of her life and to discover that not only there's a power, but there's something in understanding and learning as you've laid them out, you can take them one at a time. So thank you so much for this today. Would you let folks know how they can find out more about you and also get a copy of the book? And thank you so much. Good. Well, People can look on my website, www.sheldrake.org. The book is called Ways to Go Beyond and Why They Work, available on Amazon as an e-book and also as an audio book with me reading it. So I very much hope that readers, uh, listeners, will indeed take a look at the book and try out some of these practices for themselves. I know. I love it because I'm totally renewed in my commitment to meditation. Thank you so much. Well, thank you. <laughs> Oh, my gosh. And, you know, I can't wait to go play table tennis tomorrow. Let's take a short break, everybody. We'll be right back. The preceding audio was via a Skype call.